Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Emil has been saying that for, well, had been saying that for going on 10, 12 years, I reckon, maybe mm-hmm. even longer. And uh, pesky lawyers. Now we're saying it. Yeah. And it's a doggone good, uh, doggone good motto. Welcome well, to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France yep. is here as well. Don't and know. happy, happy new year. 2020. Bye, guys. Vinti, vinti. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, nineteen twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to kick off the new year with uh, a guest that. Uh, well, we always love having this guy on. He's here every year. He's here every year. He's probably the busiest man I know in the writing world, and that would be Johnny Boggs. Johnny, welcome to our program. Well, thank you. Happy New Year to y'all. Happy yeah. New Year, my friend. And uh, I understand it's a, a, a bit cold up in Santa Fe. It's a it's a mite chilly, but it's it's a, like I said, it's it's warming up right now. I mean, we we've reached um, you know it was only you know twenty three degrees earlier this morning. Oh, well, you probably got your shorts up. and your uh, t shirt on then. <laughs> like thirty nine or so, I think right now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, but I, spring. I bet you've got some pinion burning in the fireplace though. No, you can't beat that. New Mexico Pinon just makes the best fires it, in I know, the world. And it smells wonderful. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Johnny has a, a new book out. And this one is, uh, it's, 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 quite, it's quite cool, actually. Uh, all of your books are cool, John. But uh, this one is really, really good because it's a favorite subject of uh, Bunker and mine. And it's the American West on film. Hollywood, uh, what does that say? Hollywood, uh, Hollywood history. Oh, so oh, that's 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 a that's a very strange thing, Hollywood history, because yeah. it's been interpreted by so many people, but so many ways that uh, I'm not sure there really is a history. It's just yeah. a pot of porridge. Well, the the premise of the book is to explore um, significant westerns uh, from uh, the decades from the 1930s up to the 2000s, and uh, significant westerns that came about uh, from Hollywood, and uh, Johnny explains why they're significant, and what I love about this book is that you offer up what it's all about at the beginning there, and then you go into uh, some historical aspects and some asides here and there, and then you go into a conclusion. And I mean, it the the writing, as always, is really really good. I've got well, thank you very much. I've got a ton of books on films, and I've got to say, I've seen the formats similar to this, but none of them as good as this mm-hmm. because you really do you you. You, I, I'm going to run through something, a, no, a notes I made here for just a second. The American West on film, film, history, history of the West, American social history, making of popular and classic motion pictures, what Westerns got wrong and what they got right, how movies reflect the period in which they were made. You know, everybody's written on each one of those individually, but to put them all together in one package, I think that was a master stroke. Well, thank you. It was also a 
big pain in the butt to write and research. I can tell you that. Well, in reading the uh, the preview copy, I, I you you do all kinds of annotations, and um, <laughs> I love some of the annotations. Uh, you know, uh, Dick Salder, other interview, no, twenty eighteen. <laughs> I love those. You know, the, just those little asides there that you pulled out uh, from your hat there uh, on so many of these things. The movies that he covers um, are Union Pacific from nineteen thirty nine, the Oxbow Incident from nineteen. 1943, Red River from 1948, High Noon 1952, The Searchers 1956, The Magnificent Seven from 1960, Butch Sundance and the uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969, Little Big Man from 1970. That's a favorite film of mine. Young Guns from 1988, Tombstone from 1993, and then the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford from uh, the year 2007. You know, John, if I can, I'm I'm going to read something that you wrote. Just recently in the roundup in your first page column, and I, and I think, and then we'll just turn you loose. <laughs> Biography. Well, I concede that the challenge and idea fascinates me, but I thought writing movie history books would be fun until I realized that my facts had to be straight, and after it's all said and written, there is this pain in the seat of your pants process called... <laughs> Bag indexing. <laughs> Fiction has its share of headaches, but not those that drive you to trash can kicking woes. <laughs> I love that. I could just see it happening too. <laughs> Got all these dented trash cans around the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, this is great. This is it, it, a lot of great people now will hire out to do the indexing for you. And, and let me tell any any nonfiction writers that is exactly the way you should go, no matter how much it costs. It's <laughs> well worth it. I'll bet. Oh, I'll that bet. Was so great. What was the what was the impetus behind this particular project? They called me um, the publisher is ABC uh, Cleo out of um, uh, California, and they had asked uh, a fine. Um, film historian and Western literature historian named uh, Richard E. Lane to, um, to do it. And he told him he didn't have time. And then Dick said, person you need to call is Johnny D. Boggs. And, and they reached out to me and we started talking. And I said, well, that's an interesting idea. Of course, I'm kind of interested in doing it. So then we had to settle on the movies. And that was kind of the hard, hardest part. Oh, bad, yeah. How, how did that discussion go? And, and because I can think of other movies and and that could have been in here, and some of these that are in here could have been out. Right. Uh, we went back and forth. The only one I think that was all two two movies were always in there, and that was Red River mm-hmm. uh, from nineteen forty eight, and that was because they wanted something to do with cowboys and cattle drives and. and you can't pick a better movie than Red River. Mm-hmm. And the other one, they wanted Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in mm-hmm. there. My editors did as more. Of, they were thinking more of the end of the West piece, uh, mm-hmm. and it eventually just came down to more like the Outlaws piece. Yeah. Uh, so we had to find something that we could put into a historical co- historical context. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these had to be like the figures: Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, Young Guns, or Billy the Kid. Uh, Tombstone for the OK Corral and the Herbs, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford for the Jesse James 
far. Well, and uh, Union Pacific, we decided on just to get the Transcontinental Railroad in. I have to admit, there was originally supposed to be 12 movies in there. Um, the other one was going to be Cimarron, about yeah. the land rush, and that was 1931. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first uh, American, uh, Western to win on a Richard Dix one? Yeah, Richard Dick. Yeah, you know, okay. Definitely not the Glenn Ford. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, I wrote too long, so, so <laughs> we had to leave uh, Cimarron out. And I, most of these books, this is a, a new series they're launching. Um, most all all the books so far uh, that had been assigned were only only used ten films. They did get the eleven. Mm-hmm. Well, you could almost turn this into a Hannah and the Horseman series, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but there, there are a bunch of them. I mean, we, we went with the uh, Oxbow incident uh, just to get uh, Vigilante Frontier Justice uh-huh. in there. High Noon was, we, you know, we debated back and forth on it and just decided to put it for Towns and Lawmen. Um, the Searchers, uh, we picked that just to highlight the Indian Wars. Magnificent yeah. Seven was really, I was kind of the guinea pig on this one because, you know, there's no history to the Magnificent Seven at all. No. Um, but they wanted to focus on the gun firefighter culture, mm-hmm. so we went with it. Uh, and a little big man for George Custer, as also, you know, um, well, you know, it's kind of a little Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the part of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, I mean, we debated other movies, especially when you're talking about the Indian Wars. Um, um, it could have been, you know, a number of um, Jesse James movies we could do and a number mm-hmm. of um, Tombstone, uh, OK Corral movies we could do. But the one thing I really want to do, I, I, I started in the 1930s because this is when um, Westerns rebound yeah. from um, pot boilers and, and B films. Mm-hmm. And then we, when, we, when we ruled out um, Cimarron, we said, well, you know, you're particularly off 1939 and that is the year that turned the Western genre mm-hmm. around. Yeah, you could have um, almost just done the whole book on 1939s. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's, that's a pretty good idea for a book right there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm on it right now. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be writing during commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this. You know, because you know, you, you had those great books on uh, Billy the Kid, Jesse James, uh, the Herbs. How much, how much influence did that have to do, or did it have any, on their selection process for you? And I, I'm sure, you know, that you really capitalized on all of that that good research you had already done. So did that help you uh, or simplify it any for you? Yeah, that, that was a, a big help. And of course, you know, they don't know me from, you know, uh, Adam Pascat, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I had, they wanted to see some proof that I could write about film. So I'd sent them a few, just a few chapters I'd done from the two, um, the Billy the Kid and the Jesse James movie books. I sent them some magazine articles and uh, other stuff that I've done on films for, you know, True West, um, for Seven Hill Magazine back when it was still publishing, and some others. And that convinced them that I, yeah, that I probably could do this Western thing. <laughs> um, and, and it was, and obviously I, I think I, I was pretty set with the you know, Young Guns and, and uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, because mm-hmm. I'd covered those in the books before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fairly easy. The great, the great part, um, on Red River, um, you know, a few years ago I did a novel that was kind of a sequel to yeah, yep. the novel. Yeah, the Return, Return to Red River, which actually won a Spur Award, and I was kind of pleased with that. Yeah. Uh, but um, I didn't know this. I mean, I wrote the novel, and a friend of mine said, hey, do you know that the guy who played young Matt Garth is still alive? Wow. 
Oh. Well, she goes, well, you know, I've got a mutual friend who knows him, and I just thought it'd be great if you'd sign a copy of Return to Red River um, and just, and just you know, personalize it to him, and then I'll get it to him, and, and that's great. So I said, well, sure, I'd be delighted to. I mean, so I did that, and, <laughs> and then I get in the mail an autograph still of Mickey Kahn, who played young Matt Garth in the movie, Oh. Uh, with uh, Walter Brennan and, mm. and John Wayne, and oh. he just thanked me so much for the book and for wow. signing it. And uh, says, well, now I know what happened to Matt Garth. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, so when they asked me to do this and we decided on Red River, I said, well, wait a minute. So I, I got in contact with Mickey and I said, hey, do you mind talking to me a little bit about making another movie? And uh, he said, sure. And uh, I got more than I could use in the book because you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about the making of the movie is really the shortest part of the, of the whole chapters. But he talked to me, and, and so when John Wayne takes that gun away from him and hits Mickey or hits young Matt, he really hit him. <laughs> <laughs> he really hit him. Wow. He, Mickey says, he says, you know, I'm 16 years old. And, and John Wayne says, hey, kid, you know, it'll look good. We can get this probably done in one take if you let me actually hit you. He goes, you know, who am I to tell Duke Wayne no? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, kid, it ain't going to hurt a bit. The hell it ain't. Well, the, all of these movies here on, on uh, that are being covered in this book, um, I mean, it, it, it's a Voices of the West top ten list. Just about, uh, yeah, from when uh, Franzi was with us and, and doing the, the those top ten lists. And I know Johnny, you contributed a bunch to those. Uh, to those, that, in fact, we still he have. He disagreed a lot. with a lot of them, which I, I agree with his disagreeing. Yeah, we, we have a lot. Of, we still have those up on the website for anyone who wishes to uh, take a gander at those and explore. Tiptoe through the past. Tiptoe, yeah, tiptoe through. The past, as it were. So, uh, where shall we go? I, you know, I think we'll just. Well, you know, I want to. I just want to mention something real quick, like right. you know, uh, the on the Red River. I did a couple of talks this summer on Red River for some screenings, and going back and doing my research, and I, I think I told you at the convention, I found the names of some of the guys that had wrangled on it mm-hmm. and I had worked with three of the five and knew them really well and it was just so neat to uncover a piece of history that you didn't realize was there and the people connected to it right that's got to be a that's got to be a thrill especially when you like for you when you're doing your research you know like uh, getting young Matt Gart there you know to sit down and talk to him about about the character and and maybe his viewpoint on what happened to him in the future and all that. That's got to be right. it. Got to be exciting. Yeah, yeah. and I did I interviewed Dobie Carey um, um, back when about the Searchers was maybe mm-hmm. doing its thirty fifth or fiftieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Sometime I talked to Dobie about that. So I had interviews with him. I had interviewed here in South Bay. I interviewed Val Kilmer, and we talked a little bit about. Um, 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 that, 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 Tombstone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had some of these interviews I had already done, and I, you know, I interviewed a lot of a lot of the writers. And, Did you um, know that uh, Val Kimmer, he's, he's early, he grew up in, up around the Phoenix area. His dad had a dude ranch up there, and so he had some, you know, factual experience growing up or, with the West and the, the history and whatnot. Speaking of dude ranches, we're going to take our very first break here. Oh. 
We're talking with uh, Western Writers of America author Johnny D. Boggs, his latest tome, The American West on Film. It's Hollywood history. Is it available yet, Johnny, or is it... Uh, it is, it okay. is. It's a, it's a pricey book, i got to say that. It's $63. Oh. Uh, yeah! That's why you had to get a review copy of an e-book. Yeah, well, that's uh, Yeah, right. so uh, that was... That, that, Kind of gave me sticker shock too. Yeah, that's I think when, you get it on sale from Amazon for fifty five now. Uh, right. You know, that's when you go into Barnes and Noble. They tell you the price, and you feel this great sucking force <laughs> on your underwear. <laughs> well, anyway, we got to do our first break. And uh, speaking of dude ranches, we have welcome a brand new sponsor yeah. to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It is the White Horse. A white stallion ranch. That right, Eric. They're a sponsor I now. I've got to be nice I to them. I got, you know, it's, the eyes are going every which way but <laughs> loose here. White stallion ranch. They're located northwest of Tucson, and uh, they have uh, that property. They have uh, a couple of other properties in southern Arizona. Uh, uh, oh, oh uh, what's called also ranch down on the border. Mm-hmm. The and one over Tombstone. Tombstone. Mm-hmm. So, and I think they have another one that's kind of mysterious or something. Well, in any event, they are our brand new sponsors, so uh, we're going to break here and be right back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. You stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do do 777-1911 as we recognize the service of america's men and women in uniform 
Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. back with the theme to uh, or from Union Pacific 1939 starring Joel McRae, Barbara Stanwyck and that is the first chapter of our guest's brand a new book here, Johnny Boggs The American West on Film You know, that was the only chapter I got to read (laughs) because I I went to the the bookseller's side you know, and they give you the preview and all the American ones, they give you everything but the thing on the British cha- uh, book site, mm-hmm. I found Union Pacific, so I got to read it, so it gave me the whole idea mm-hmm. of how John okay. put this all together. Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to just I'm just totally blown away. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Well, well interesting movie. It's, uh, it was um, it's, it's probably the least known, and probably doesn't hold up as well as the other movies from westerns from 1939, uh, Dodge City, uh, Stagecoach. Uh, Yeah, that's a take one. <laughs> Ready whenever you are, CB. <laughs> yeah. And he was sick when he was directing that. He had like back, back pain. He had to mm-hmm. you know, hold him up and things like that. Uh, and, you know, the mill, he's, he's now, it's like, I want to be authentic to history and, and not be anywhere near authentic to history. <laughs> well, you know. That's one of the things about DeMille that fascinated me from what I understand from all the reading is that he loved doing interiors. He hated doing exteriors. And from also because of illness at that time, almost all of the exteriors of the movie were shot by somebody else, Mm. another fellow. And I I got his name here. A lot of that was um, uh, rear projection. They used second units out there to film uh, everything. And and that's one of the the weakest parts of that movie is when you see Robert Wilson riding and and being shot at by Joel McRae. I mean, it it looks incredibly fake. It looked fake in 1939. Mm -hmm. Imagine how fake it's going to look in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the physics. Well, you know, Arthur Rosen was the second unit director on that. And... Uh, I guess he does deserve an awful lot of credit, though, for for what you see, especially the exterior stuff that's actual. Well, you know, it, it just I I love the movie. Of course, I, yeah. I'm a huge Joe McRae fan, and so and railroad fan. So that's another reason why I like the movie. But um, you go through a lot of painstaking details in there about how uh, UP 
really helped out DeMille in, in, in getting the mm-hmm. trains, the track, uh, and the track area. I mean, that is just great behind-the-scenes I'm fascinated with that. Well, you know, we did yeah, a... Sh- I mean, yeah, oh, he's doing all the research, and, and, and you know, DeMille, uh, he actually uh, did a lot of that, that, that they helped a lot and sent him all sorts of files. I'm just not sure how many, much of the files he actually wound up using Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it was DeMille. I mean, he right, right. whatever he wanted to do, but he did have a little bit of a family connection there uh, to get mm. some help from the UP, and, and this was 1939. It's a whole lot different mm-hmm. than back then. I mean, they were willing to help. Sure. This was good publicity for the railroad. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, why not? Print the legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, again, this, this, is, this is one of those movies that has, just has so much history in it. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, they do these little storytelling tweaks that have nothing to do with history, it, but it, it helps advance the story for the producer, the director, and the screenwriter, and yeah. they're not that concerned about accuracy. They I, want to entertain you. No, no. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I've always said this. I mean, if you want to watch, uh, if you want history, read a, go to a book, right. grab a history book, maybe watch a documentary. You can't always trust all the documentaries. I don't trust them. Yeah. Movies are made to entertain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, I, we, yeah. Ju- we just watched a, a movie on Amazon, The Aeronauts, and it looked pretty good. Um, but uh, then it got real slow, and in my review for IMDb on it, it was like, really? Um, there was no woman involved in this event? <laughs> but that was created just for the picture, so. Based Whatever. on a historical <clears throat> incident. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, the next movie in, in uh, your book is uh, The Oxbow Incident from 1943. God, what a perfect Another movie. fantastic perfect movie. movie. And that was one I had to argue for. Really? Um, we, when we were well, when we were talking about how long this book was going to be, and if I and, and like I said, they usually wanted only ten movies. They said, "Why don't we just use? Why don't we just get rid of the Oxbow incident because we've got Lawman covered in High Noon?" And I mm-hmm. said, "You really don't want to get rid of the Oxbow incident. You can't really. I mean, that that is one. Of, that's probably the most powerful." Western to come out of the World War Two years, yeah. and yeah. it still holds up incredibly well. Um, Daryl Zanuck, producing for 20th Century Fox, he did not want to make the movie, but he backed um, uh, Wellman and, and Fonda and those and said, you know, we'll make this movie. It's, no one's going to go see it, but we'll make this movie. And he was absolutely right mm-hmm. when he went to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, because 1943, who wants to see a movie about a lynching? Right. Um, and they wanted something happy. Men yeah. are hanged. Yeah. Uh, it was not, but, but that movie just said, that's one of the, it's one of my favorite westerns, mm-hmm. um, and you know the performance Henry Fonda gives, and the ending, and it's just so, you know, just you know, so d- disturbing, um, and so just you know. Well, you know, I don't. It's a it's a study of of of, of psychology from right. that era, uh, not the nineteen forty three era, but uh, the in, the era in which the Oxbow incident takes Fru- place. Freudism was so yeah. rampant in Hollywood film that you know this is one of the things too. You know, they said they opposed of it were because it was uh, lawman. Well, it's anti law. Mm. It's not about the law. It's about the lawlessness. Right. Yeah. And that's that, that in itself is an entirely different uh, topic. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you, sometimes you look at that and you wonder, man, how did they... You know, the thing called the produ- Production Code Administration at this time, and they were supposed yeah. to you know, make sure what, what you could do in a movie and what you couldn't do. And it's 
kind of amazing that movie ever got past the code uh, <laughs> to be released because you know, you're not supposed to let the good guys die. No. Yeah, well, and this is what this is one of Clint Eastwood's favorite films too, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's okay. Our next movie coming up is nineteen forty and eight Red River. Uh, I mean, what else can you say about it except what a great movie? Uh, <laughs> and move along. It's cow. It's cow all the way. I mean, it's a no question. It's a it's a great movie, and this would have been a no brainer as far as I'm concerned to, to be included in a, a a book such as this. Well, you know, doing looking, I found out a couple of locations that nobody ever never writes about for it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's again. I, I that's 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 why I'm, I I have to admit that that I. I kind of have an admiration for you, Johnny, because I love research, and you are the master. If I can ever study at your knee, like <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, you know, you can call me Grasshopper. It'll be okay. <laughs> He'll even rub his legs together and make a sound like that. Eh? <laughs> no, that's cricket. No, don't don't call me cricket. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you want to throw in anything about Red River that really hasn't already been said? What can you say about Red River? Thank I mean, you. Like, you look at the movie. Um, I was doing something else on Red River, and I realized I looked at all the lists on top, you know, ten, top one hundred westerns. It's always on those yep, lists, and yep. it's always really, really high, always in the top ten. Yeah. Um, because it's a dynamite movie. I mean, you can mm-hmm. nitpick the ending. It's a great is that story. Really the ending that you wanted to do is that really what would have happened to those guys? But um, it's still a powerful movie. Montgomery Cliff's first role. Uh, in a film, um, and he, I asked Mickey when I was interviewing him, I said, how, I mean, you got John Wayne, and you got a method actor like Cliff, who's making his first movie after, you know, years on Broadway, how could they do it? And and he said, they respected each other as actors enough to know mm-hmm. that they could do it. He said, mm-hmm. uh, Garth, I mean, Garth, uh, Montgomery Cliff did it his way, John Wayne did it his way, and somehow they just made it work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Wayne's character and the way he works, when he's working with somebody that is really good or that, you know, their reputation is, it brings out the very best in him. Sure. Yeah. And I have, I do have something to say about this that hasn't been said before. All right, then. The first Teamsters card in Arizona, our local, was given to Bill Douglas, who was one of the uh, Wranglers, uh, did stunts on it. Yeah. yeah you know, there's, there's new yeah, stuff. There's a little uh, trivia. Yeah. yeah I come in the second edition, John. <laughs> yeah, I'm available for research. <laughs> High Noon from 1952. Great, great movie. Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper, absolutely. Um, and this is a movie about the blacklist. Uh, it was actually started yeah. out. I mean, when when they, before all this happened, I mean, they were they were trying to make a, a movie um, really about the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And then the Red Scare comes about, and everything changes around. And, and this is the, one of the movies that really was kind of outspoken. John Wayne hated it, of course. Mm-hmm. Hated everything about it. Hated it so much. He and Howard Hawks decided they had to make. Real bravo. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, you know, you know, this is a funny thing. You look at High Noon, and it's almost ageless. So it's it's very applicable right now of today. Course, of course, you know, oh, yeah. 
I mean, yeah. yeah, it's just one of those one of those great, great stories. We're talking with Western Writers of America author Johnny D. Boggs and his latest book, The American West on Film. It's Hollywood history, and uh, we'll be back. We've got to do another commercial break here. So um, you do Let's stay tuned. break tu- that commercial. We're going to break that commercial. So y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back right after these very important messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sport. Clays fields and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. 
Sean, that fellow Russell. I'd like to wring his neck, yes, but just remember Russell was acting within his legal rights. Legal be hanged. Promised to renew that note of yours and then wouldn't. That may be legal, but all I can wish for Russell is a rough horse, a cactus saddle, and a long journey. This is the Voices of the West. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and our special guest, Johnny D. Boggs, Western Writers of America author. His latest book, The American West on Film. And that little, uh, you didn't hear it, John, but uh, uh, the little thingy that the comes music in. Lead in. Music lead in before uh, we play the uh, bottom of the hour high chaparral theme uh, comes from um, uh, Two Fisted Law, Tim McCoy and John Wayne, 1936, yeah. I think. You know, if you ever if you ever do this same book on TV, you've got to include the high chaparral. There you go. Hey, we've, uh, you know, I'm a part of a movie group with uh, David Morrell, uh, Robert Knott, uh, Thomas Claggett, and Kirk Ellis, and we've seen a couple of the High Chaparrales because we go there. Occasionally, they'll show them uh, a TV show instead of uh, a movie or something like mm-hmm. that. And it, you know, we've seen. I think we saw just the first two episodes. And I remember watching it as a kid, and I, we see you. You know, I said, "Hey, I know that guy." <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, look at him. Look. He hasn't aged a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is on a sad note, but James Schmier, who uh, wrote several of the scripts and was one of the producers on it, passed away here just recently. Hmm. I, I'm surprised that you did, see, in fact, see Bunker because his motto is never look at the camera. <laughs> well, so never be never let the camera look at you. Yeah, right. <laughs> So he can be well, able to see. Please know this is a fairly nitpicky group. I mean, they, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they I brought some movies that they didn't like, and I got ticked off that they didn't like. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ranrod with Joel McRae. How can you not like Ranrod? Oh, really? Joel McRae, that's a great yeah. movie. Come on, guys. Yeah. But, they they have all been impressed by the episodes of High Chaparral that they've seen. So is it, is this a, is this the same group that I saw a, a picture of That's posted him. on Facebook a couple, <laughs> a couple was, of days ago? That was, that was a bunch of except for Kirk Ellis who yeah. he, he, he doesn't yeah. hack the cold, so he's in Palm, Palm uh, Springs now, so he couldn't join us. Yeah, yeah. That's the wild bunch. Yeah, the wild bunch is right. <laughs> yeah. All right, our next movie to come up, 1956, uh, The Searchers. Uh, Another uh, Wayne movie. And I say that wonderfully. Yeah, uh, you know, it's my favorite western. It's my favorite movie. Flaws and all, I can admit there are some flaws in that movie, but the um, the depth of the Wayne's performance, uh, how um, Ford uh, shot those scenes, and but really... Uh, there, there are a handful of movies that I've watched um, where I forget that I'm watching an actor. Mm-hmm. And Wayne, as Ethan Edwards, one of those. Humphrey Bogart and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Al Pacino in a movie I don't think that's very good, The Son of a Woman. But he oh, is so he... mesmerizing. He's playing a guy who's blind and he can't use his eyes. And it's, it's just amazing mm-hmm. how he, he does that. But, you know, The Searches is one of the great all-time westerns. Um, it's you know, one of the movies. Anything just how downbeat that movie is for 1956. One of the Here's one thing. I'm going to plug my friend John Chandler. We were driving out together to do a speaking gig in Arkansas, and John's a musician and a writer and song singer songwriter in Denver area. And he, he put together an album that's coming out next month called uh, Homage, and it's a, 
this first album of covers, and he says, one of the covers I'm doing is the theme to The Searchers right away. And I said, that's a terrible song. I said, one of the worst things in that movie is that song. He goes, it's how they did it. It's how they did it. They all sound the same. I'm doing it the way it should be done. And that's uh-huh. kind of a little mess. Uh-huh. Uh, so when that, that CD comes out next month, John Chandler, you can go to johnchandler.com, I believe, and, and find that. He, he knocks that song out of the ballpark. That's the way they should have done that song in that movie. Well, Thank you, John. I expect some <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think this The Searchers, the only movie I've seen more times is The Big Sky, which is probably my second favorite. But i got to say that The Searchers is the only Western I've watched five times on the Mexican channel in Spanish. <laughs> but you I know, love the movie. You know the dialogue in Spanish and English, right? You, you, you know, we were talking about this, you know. Uh, well, there are a number of movies we could have chosen for the Indian Wars. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the things we'd want, I wanted to do, and this was my argument, I said, well, we'll start in 1939, and, but for the 40s, 50s, and 60s, let's do two movies each, because this is the heyday of the Western. Yeah. This is when mm-hmm. Westerns ruled box office. Um, when we could have picked a number of movies, and we debated up, um, you know, Fort Apache, we could have used uh, a number of movies, and we finally just kept with the Sturchers, um, just because this is a transformation period for Westerns, is where you start showing out that there are really not too many likable people in this movie. <laughs> uh, white or Indian. And uh, a friend of mine gave me the, um, uh, Nicola Burgess, who's an artist here. He's uh, the center of the Quanta Park. So he's Comanche. Uh, he gave me the Comanche perspective wow. on these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, Glenn Franco did a wonderful book on the searchers. Um, Michael Blake written on the searchers. I mean, uh, it, it's a fairly uh, well-documented movie, so the, the research on that yeah. wasn't quite as hard. And like I said, I had interviewed uh, Harry Carey Jr. Hundreds uh, of articles. About mm-hmm. that movie, too. So, uh, But yeah, it's a dynamite movie. Um, it certainly captures, you know, uh, Indians didn't like the Texans, and Texans didn't like the Indians, and that's the way it was going to be. And, mm-hmm. uh, there you go. Yeah. 1960, The Magnificent Seven, brand new decade. A little bit different kind of Western, I would think, don't you think? Uh, would you agree with that? A little hip. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I, was, I was a guinea pig on this one, because like I said, this is a new series. Um, when I started trying to get to the history part of it, I was like, boy, there, there's no history at all in this movie. How am I supposed to do that? And I sent them something, and, and they said, no, no, we gotta, we got to figure this out. And we figured it out just by trying to follow the gunfighter culture mm-hmm. and showing that as what The Magnificent Seven's all about. And it was a transformational movie, too, because this is a movie that suddenly said you don't need just one hero. Mm-hmm. You can have multiple heroes and get their own little story. What amazes me, the, the number of remakes this movie uh, and sequels this movie has had, yeah. none none compares, none can hold up to the original. I mean, they told that story tightly. You could get everything you need to know about all those characters in just a few minutes. Of, uh, it's the backbone of the spaghetti western industry. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly a part of that, too. Um, and you look at, you know, um, Charles Bronson and, and Yul Brenner uh, made a number of spaghettis. So. You know, us, because we're, go- we're getting close to running out of time here, uh, I, I just wanted to kind of mention something. Uh, I guess it came out this uh, this last month. The Buckskin Bloomers and Me is that out now? Oh, yeah, 
This fascinates me. You know, it, tell us tell us about some like it hot out west. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I decided to do for this novel, um, um, I wanted to do a baseball novel uh, against my uh, agent's wishes, uh, but, I, so, but I, I, I'd watched Some Like a Hot, Some Like a Hot, and I said, I could do this as a Western story. So I took a 16-year-old kid who, 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 who his, his, his stepmother and his stepmother's friend, who's a judge, want to kill him. So they can get his his inheritance. So he's got to run away. So he 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 disguises himself as a bloomer girl, which is a women's baseball team barnstorming across Kansas in 1906 uh, to hide away hide out from killers. So they're traveling by train. Uh, he's a guy disguised as a girl, although this is kind of based on on actual history. It is, yeah. Uh, great. Baseball player in the early 1900s uh, led the Red Sox to a World Series title. Yes. Joe Wood. Mm-hmm. Baseball his stars. His first real job as a professional baseball player was pretending to be a girl for the Kansas City Bloomer Girls in Kansas in 1906. So, yeah. <laughs> she's a, she's ugly, but she's a hell of a shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's good. Yeah. All right, we're going to move up to... Uh, 19, well, yeah, we're going to move up to 1969 here and talk about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I saw that in the theaters, and I've seen it on television a number of times. It's very entertaining. It's still an entertaining movie. It's cutesy, Um, too, though. Um, yes, Butch Cassidy. And this is a movie that shows you how powerful cinema can be. Yeah. Because I think Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were second tier outlaws in this part. I mean, there's been a few mm-hmm. books written about them. Uh, William Goldman said he could only find magazine articles because there were no books published. That's a little bit of a stretch. There were books published, mm-hmm. but the, mm-hmm. nowhere near the amount of books that have been published since this movie came out. It relaunched, it was, it was you know, top box office draw back mm-hmm. in 1969. Mm-hmm. It relaunched interest in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because without this movie, you're probably not getting all these books and all this historical research that's come about since the movie was uh, released. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is something to be said. The, the facts may not be there, but a movie can regenerate interest in uh, people that are fading out of history. So, What's your take? Do you think they? Do you think they survived? Survived the uh, the onslaught by the uh, uh, Bolivian police? I think Elvis is dead. Okay. <laughs> actually, actually, you know, I, I mentioned Las Cruces earlier. Uh, he's pumping gas at a gas station there. You know, he's actually he's uh, El- Elvis is an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> that makes sense. There was some movie I saw or television show I saw. Oh, about Kurt that. Russell. No, it wasn't Kurt Russell. Oh, okay. All right, we're going to do another commer- our final commercial break here, and then we'll come back and talk about the last four movies uh, in this um, in this book. And the book is America, the American West on film. It's by author Western Writers of America author Johnny D. Boggs, and we're going to be right back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. land of 
cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 Old Western Radio Theatre every Saturday at 6pm Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West VOW Radio Back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France, our guest uh, Johnny D. Boggs in his book, The American West on Film. All right, we've got uh, a couple more to cover here. Uh, the Little Big Man, Young Guns, Tombstone, and the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford from 2007. Little Big Man, I, you know, when I first saw that movie, I didn't think I quite understood it, but um, the more I, I, I've seen it many a time since, but um, it's a damn good movie. In the book, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, really good book. I mean, it, it kind of, the book is kind of, uh, Thomas Berger's novels are kind of episodic and, and jumps around, and, and the, the 
movie kind of reduces that a little bit. But, you know, it's a Western, but it's really not a Western. This is a movie about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exactly what the intent was. I mean, they had trouble with, um, getting it made um, because, you know, there was, he was saying, well, here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do. And it's all kind of you know, show how uh, wrong the American Indians were. And we'll have these uh, massacres and things like that. And he goes, okay, but it's got to be funny. <laughs> it, it, it will be funny. And then uh, in, in many ways it is, and in many ways it isn't. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, you know, uh, Kevin Costner's man, uh, man Called Wolf, I think, owes a lot to Little Big Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I mean, everybody, and, you know, here's, here's how uh, short people, moviegoers' attention span can be. When, when Dances <laughs> with Wolves comes out 20 years later, and said, oh, this is all original. Look how, how they've just transformed everything. Well, no. Mm-hmm. They did that 20 years ago in yeah. Little Big Man. And mm-hmm. actually, you could go back even farther and see, you know, uh, Broken Arrow, uh, yeah. Double's Doorway, mm-hmm. uh, movies that were fairly sympathetic to the Indians made in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, and Little Big, but Little Big Man's a powerful movie they used. Uh, they filmed on um, several Indian reservations in, in the United States and Canada. Um, they used American uh, Indian extras when they could. Uh, it kind of transformed a little bit in, in the way we think about American Indians, too. Mm-hmm. And it also has Indian, it more also, Indian <laughs> actors getting roles after this. Yeah. Um, it, it, it changed a lot in Hollywood. So for that, I mean, you, you've got to give it a, a really yeah. Up. It has my favorite oh, Custer it in it too. Yeah, it's Bunker's favorite Custer in it. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Richard Mulligan, yeah. 1988, we have the Young Guns coming out, and uh, you know, 18 years uh, between, and I'm not saying that there weren't other westerns released in between Little Big Man and Young Guns, but 18 years is quite a while to take for another to have a hit, to yeah. have a hit yeah. uh, in that in in a particular genre. It's you know Brad Pack. Uh, John Fusco did the uh, screenplay, uh, and John, you know, and he, he wrote it on spec. People were telling John, "You can't do this. The western is dead. Nobody wants to see horses and dust anymore." And he goes, <laughs> "I think there's a story here." And what they did, how they marketed it, was brilliant. I mean, they got a bunch of um, Brad Pack type actors in mm-hmm. there, and they they uh, the posters showed them usually without hats. And uh, John said, you know, his, his first line in the script was if they rode up, and 100 years later, they were ridden up on Harleys. And that got the attention <laughs> of everybody. Uh, and this is a movie it. that showed Hollywood that Westerns can make money. It made pretty good money. Mm-hmm. So much, and they immediately talked about a sequel and did the sequel. Uh, so you can say Dances with Bulls does not get made unless mm-hmm. Young Gun is made first. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's not popular in Lincoln County, though. Yeah, I reckon not. <laughs> 1993's Tombstone. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, cast of many others. I but, thought it was a really good movie. It's a miracle that movie got made yeah. because Kevin Dunster is trying to get um, Wide Earth made at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I love that played into Young Gunn's favor because all these movies... All the Western prop shops, they were out of you. They were out of costumes. They were out of everything. Hmm. So yeah. that's why they had to go to these smaller mom-and-pop little um, operations to get the costumes, get the guns, get just about everything made uh, that way. And that kind of 
Westerns began taking a more serious look at how they costume. Yeah. After uh, Young Gun, hmm. I think. Well, you know, that's one of the curses of Tombstone, though, is that all the little low-budget westerns that have been made since then, not all of them, but a great many, they're like Tombstone clones as far as the wardrobe. Yeah. And that, that well, bugs that, me. That, yeah, success breeds Im- imitation. Yeah. <laughs> and lack of imagin- imagination. I have a uh, my DVD copy of Tombstone uh, I, I, I purchased from my nephew who is a filmmaker and he did not want this so i have a director's cut copy of uh, tombstone on dvd and my filmmaker nephew says nah i didn't like it yeah okay and it only cost me a buck <laughs> everybody likes a different brand of I reckon tea. I reckon all right our final uh, final movie uh, talked about in in this book is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford from 2007 which is a, a movie you know was a total box office flop um <laughs> <laughs> uh, hardly anybody went to see it it's a long it's an art movie basically mm-hmm. it is an art movie uh, that's based on a literary novel brilliant literary novel by Ron Hanson um, but it probably captures the, the best we know about Jesse James and I think it does that very well because it's not focusing on his entire career most of the movies from Jesse James even in Back Into the Silence they try to tell the, the story of a his entire life. And that's, you know, 16 years as an outlaw, um, four years in the Civil War. Um, it's just too long to make it to a movie. To it's like history of the world. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, because I, you know, there's been, there, Jesse James's story's been told a hundred times, but the, the one I liked the best was the uh, Johnny Cash uh, version. Not Johnny Cash and... That, and Chris Christopherson. Yeah, uh, the last days of Frank and Jesse James made the TV movie about the uh, mid '80s, uh, which is fairly accurate too, up until the end. Yeah. It goes goes a little bit crazy with uh, uh, putting um, Frank James and, and Creed, but yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a really good movie uh, for a made the TV movie. <laughs> I always thought it was kind of amusing. Johnny Cash plays Frank James, Chris Christopherson plays Jesse James, mm-hmm. June Carter Cash yeah. plays. Mom, uh-huh. yeah. plays Jesse's mom. She's played Johnny Cash's wife. Is playing right. his, his mom. <laughs> his mom, yes. Uh, that's love, people. That is absolutely love. No kidding. Johnny <laughs> was a great love story, and there's proof of that. There you you know, before we run out of time, I've got this one question that's been burning in my mouth for the whole show. Will you would you tell Harry and our listening audience what? Dolly, Jack, Chuck, and Honey all have in common. <laughs> well, those are horses that didn't like me in their saddles. <laughs> <laughs> I love it and when I've I got, come at stuff. Got, I can show you my, my sore ribs to prove it. <laughs> yeah, you got the x-rays. <laughs> all right, when you come out for the book festival, we'll be, uh, we'll be waiting to see that. <laughs> that's funny that's all the time we have Johnny thank you so much for joining us Johnny D. Boggs author always a pleasure guys
Western Amer- Western Writers of America. The book is American West on Film. Find it at your local book supplier, and uh, uh, it'll be great. And, by the way, uh, from now on, our movie Saturdays will be out at the White Stallion Ranch. Awesome. So and, and, we're doing, and we're Johnny, this is uh, having you on the show is always more fun than a sack full of squirrels. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for joining us, Johnny. We'll, we'll see you. All right, and that's all the time we have for uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk at you next week. Uh, God willing and a quick snow rise. So long. Adios. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.